Welcome to the Freedom House Church Weekend Message. Today, you'll be hearing an exciting message from a communicator on our teaching team. Whether you're just waking up, on your way to work, or going for a relaxing evening walk, we know this message will equip you to experience Christ's freedom today and every day. So enjoy. all of you today. Let me just tell you, I am pumped to be here. Are y'all pumped to be in the house of God today? Awesome. All right. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Diana Henderson, and my husband and I get to be the campus pastors at our South End campus. Now, in addition to South End and in addition to our central campus here, we also have our Lake Norman campus and we have our online campus and we've got people joining us today from New Jersey, Tennessee, Florida, Texas, Georgia, Illinois. They spelled it out for me just in case. South Carolina, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Virginia, West Virginia, Ohio, and Oklahoma. Come on, somebody. Welcome, so glad that you guys are with us. Well, we do something a little bit differently here at Freedom House. If you're new, we have what's called a teaching team. And it's a group of communicators. We rotate around each of our campuses every weekend so that you get a live word of God. Come on, somebody. Now, that's a vision of our senior pastors, Troy and Penny Maxwell, who I just adore. Aren't they absolutely amazing? Can we give it up for our senior pastors, Troy and Penny Maxwell? They are awesome. All right, guys, I got a lot to cover today, so we're gonna dive in. Y'all ready? Okay, we have been in a series called The Almighty Dollar, and it is all about the power of money and how we handle it. Now, money can be a little bit of a sensitive topic, right? Yeah, so sensitive that we all just got really quiet up in here. You know, my son came to my husband and I one day and he goes, mom and dad, how much money do you guys make? And we were like, son, you don't ask people that. And he looks at us and he goes, well, why not? And I think that that's the reaction that some of us have when we talk about money in church. We're like, but why is that? Jesus talked about money. In fact, he talked about money more than any other topic. The Bible has over 2,000 scriptures about money, more scriptures on prayer and faith combined. So why is it 
that we get a little squirmy when we talk about money? Well, I think it's because we're viewing money through the lens of a worldly view versus the lens of a biblical view. You know, when I was about seven or eight, I'll never forget, I overheard a conversation that my parents were having about their budget. Now, later on in life, I learned that my parents were great money managers. But this particular conversation was a little bit heated. They were talking about how they were gonna make the budget stretch to cover all of their expenses. Y'all know those conversations, right? Well, I overheard that and I was like, we don't have enough money to pay our bills. I went to bed that night just fearful. And you know, that planted a seed in me. I developed an unhealthy fear of money. I was afraid that I would never have enough. I got my first job at 14. As a young adult, I often had several jobs because guess what? I was never gonna not have enough money. And then I met Jesus and that scarcity mindset was broken off. But sometimes money, sometimes experiences in life can shape the way that we view money. Now, I wanna talk today about how to use money from a kingdom perspective. Because let's be honest, God intended for money to be a tool, a resource. But if we're not careful, we can become the tool that money uses. Y'all don't be a tool, okay? So what's the difference in us being a tool and our money being a tool is a kingdom economy versus a worldly economy. Now, let me explain what this looks like from a high-level perspective. In a world, whoa, flinging ink everywhere. In a worldly economy, you've got money at the top and people report into money. Y'all see that? So if you have money, you have power, you have influence, you have impact. Now in God's economy, in a kingdom economy, God is at the top and people report into God. Now does money exist in God's kingdom? Sure it does. It's a resource, right? It's a tool. But what we have to be careful of is that we don't create a dotted line reporting relationship to money. The Bible says in Matthew 6:24, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So today, I wanna talk about the difference between a kingdom economy and a worldly economy. But specifically, I wanna cover some of the behaviors of a worldly economy, what not to do, and some of the principles of a kingdom economy, what to do. Y'all ready? All right, we're gonna start with the world. And here's what the Bible says about the world. First John chapter two, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. End of story. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride in possessions is not from the Father, but it is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. The first behavior of a worldly economy is impulsive purchasing. Impulsive purchasing. Anyone in here willing to admit that you are guilty of buying something on a whim? 
You see my hand is raised? All right, I gotta be honest. When I step foot in the Harris Teeter and they have buy two, get three free bags of shredded cheese, I impulsively put five bags of shredded cheese in my cart and then I bring it home just to add it to the five bags of shredded cheese in my freezer I bought last week. I don't know what it is about shredded cheese, but I impulsively buy shredded cheese. Anybody else in here? Maybe not shredded cheese, but you buy stuff like that. How about at the retail store? You're standing in the checkout line and you are surrounded by impulse heaven, right? Tissues, Santa socks, chapstick, all the stuff you don't need standing right there saying, buy me, buy me. We as humans are naturally impulsive. It's, it's just our nature. Now, the thing about being impulsive is we sometimes speak our minds before we think about what we're gonna say. Sometimes we make promises that we can't keep. We're impulsive. Sometimes we make a commitment to do something before we've actually weighed the cost of the time it's gonna take to do it. Sometimes we buy things that we can't afford impulsively. Now, when I was in college, I worked for a car dealership and we were running this special and I knew all about it because I created it. I was the marketing manager. But that on top of my employee discount, I got really excited and I impulsively bought myself a Jeep Grand Cherokee because that's a good idea, right? Now, I was okay for the first couple of months, but then I had more car than money and I had to get a second job just to cover that impulsive purchase of a Jeep. Impulse comes naturally to us as humans, but the Bible calls it folly, foolishness. Proverbs 14 verse 29 says, he, is, who, he who is slow to wrath has great understanding, but he who is impulsive exalts folly. Now that word impulsive in the Hebrew, because the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, it means short of spirit. It means an absence of God. So why do we impulsively buy? FOMO, fear of missing out. We don't wanna miss out on the deal. Or maybe, just maybe, it's because of this next one. This number two, behavior of a worldly economy, comparison. Comparison. Now for some of us, this is more of a struggle than for others. But this is basically when we are constantly evaluating our beliefs, our gifts, our possessions, and comparing it with that of others. Now, when it comes to our finances, this notion of comparison is referred to by culture as keeping up with the Joneses. Y'all know the phrase? That's buying the next greatest piece of technology, the next car, maybe a boat, a lake house, all because we're trying to keep up with someone next to us. Now, I'm not saying that any of those things are bad, but when our motivation in purchasing them is to keep up with someone else, there's a problem. And you see, that can start to spiral to a place of envy. And let me tell you, y'all, envy is ugly. Y'all say that envy is ugly. That's right. It can lead to a constant desire for more. 
Now, I love this version of the the scripture in the message version. It's Galatians chapter six, verse four. It says, make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you have been given. And then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your own life. In other words, God is saying, I care about what you do with what's in your hands. You know, I grew up in a military family and most of my childhood I spent in Europe. And so when we moved back to the States, I was in middle school and the fashion in Europe was a little different than that in the U.S. And how many of you know that fashion is kind of important in middle school, right? Like you want to fit in, you want to look like everybody else. So I came over and I'm rocking like peace frog t-shirts and jorts, you know, jean shorts, jorts, and like hand-me-down tennies for my brother. I was kind of a tomboy. And all the girls like did their hair, they wore makeup, and they wore kid tennis shoes. Kids. You guys know kids? They're back now. Well, in the 90s, that was a big deal. So I went home. I was like, Mom, I need kids. And she was like, "Uh uh-uh, we're not playing that game. If you want kids, you're going to buy them yourself. Well, I didn't have money. My allowance didn't cover a new pair of kids. So I went to Walmart. And I was like, I'm going to get me some lookalike kids. I wanted to fit in desperately. So I went to school the next day. I'm rocking my faux kids. I'm like, yeah. And this girl walks up to me and she goes, are those Walmart shoes? And I was like, no, you didn't. She called me out. Now, in all seriousness, that started to plant a seed in my heart that was ugly. I was angry that I didn't fit in with other people, that I didn't look like them, that I couldn't afford to look like them. You see, what happens when we get caught up in comparison is what the scripture says in Proverbs 14:30. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Envy is ugly. We've got to steer clear of comparison. All right, number three, behavior of a worldly economy. Buy now, pay later. Buy now, pay later. This is the notion of buying now what you can't either afford to pay for later, until later, or maybe even at all. You know, the opposite of buy now, pay later is pay now, buy later, lay away. Anybody remember layaway? Okay, well, that was the concept. You put some money down, and then when you finally had the money for it, you could take the item home. Brilliant concept. They don't do that anymore. It's buy now, pay later. You see, the world would say, don't starve yourself of the pleasures of this world. Just buy it on credit. Doesn't matter if you don't have the finances to cover it. You know, I had a girlfriend in college Not only did she have a bunch of student debt, like student loans, but she racked up $30,000 in credit card debt in one year. Now, the worst part of it was her perspective towards that debt. I said to her, hey, girl, how you gonna pay that off? And she goes, doesn't matter. If I don't pay it off, I'll just file for bankruptcy. You see, the world tells us not to have integrity in our finances. It's somebody else's problem. Well, here's what the Bible says in Psalm 37, verse 21. The wicked borrow 
and do not repay, but the righteous give generously. Now, I'm not saying that there are not financially savvy ways to use credit, because right now with interest rates, it, it, you can use it strategically. But what I would say is if you don't have the asset to cover the note, you probably shouldn't be taken on the debt. Now, let me demonstrate for you what this looks like from a godly perspective, because God wants to use us in building his kingdom, right? All right, so we're gonna talk about two of my friends. We're gonna start with my friend Susie. So Susie's walking along, and she starts to save some money. She starts to invest. And all of a sudden, Susie is sitting on a mound of excess. That's Susie on the top. Can you see her? Yeah, okay, I'm a terrible artist. That's all right, I have other gifts. We're gonna call her Solvent Susie. She's got extra. Now my other friend, Dottie, she's walking along and she starts to buy stuff she can't afford on credit. She takes out a loan to buy a house that she can't afford. She buys a car that she can't afford and all of a sudden, Dottie is sitting in a hole of debt. We're gonna call her in debt Dottie. All right, now, which one of these personas do you think God is gonna use to bless someone else? Probably not in debt Dottie, right? Because she can't help herself. God's gonna use solvent Susie because she's sitting on a mound of excess. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 28 verse one, if you fully obey the Lord your God, you carefully follow all his commands I give you, the Lord your God will set you high. Everybody say hi. Hi. No, you gotta say it like that. Hi. Okay. Above all the nations on earth and all the blessings will come to you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You will be blessed in the city of Charlotte and blessed in the great nation of the US of A. The fruit of your womb will be blessed. In other words, your children for generations to come and the crops of your land and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. In other words, the outcome of your job, your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. Your microwave, your dishwasher, it's not gonna break down. You will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. You see, God wants us to be blessed so that we can be a blessing to someone else. Y'all tracking with me? All right, number four, last one, behavior of a worldly economy. Our stuff owns us. Our stuff owns us. Now that word stuff, it's not in the Webster Dictionary, but it is in the Henderson Dictionary. And it means your stuff, your, your possessions, your things. But it just sounds better, stuff. Now we've been hearing in this series that God wants us blessed. He wants us to prosper, right? Scripture upon scripture says, I want you to live an abundant life. But what he warns is that we guard against our stuff owning us. You see, there was a, a rich young man in the Bible and he went to Jesus and he said, hey, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, well, you gotta follow all the 10 commandments. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I got that. And we pick up in Matthew 19, verse 20, he says, I've done all that, what's left? And Jesus says, 
if you want to give it all you've got, go sell your possessions, give everything to the poor. All your wealth will then be in heaven. Then come follow me. It's the last thing the young man expected to hear. And so, crestfallen, disappointed, he walked away. He was holding on tight to a lot of things, and he couldn't bear to let go. As he watched him go, Jesus told the disciples, do you have any idea how difficult it is for the rich to enter God's kingdom? Let me tell you, it's easier for a a camel to gallop through the eye of a needle than for the rich to enter God's kingdom. You see, the rich young man had such a grip on his possessions and his wealth that in reality, his possessions and his wealth had a grip on him. You know, after I had one of my babies, my husband bought me a push present. Y'all know what a push present is? You push a baby out and you get a present. (laughs) Amazing concept. I'm down for that. So my husband buys me this amazing designer purse, my first designer purse. And I was stoked, super excited. I know it cost him a lot of money. He had to sacrifice for it. And so I'm rocking my purse. I'm on maternity leave, so I have nowhere to go. But I'm in the house, like, wearing my purse. I'm trying it on in front of the mirror. You know, ladies, how we do, right? And I go to lunch with this woman from my network. And God says to me, Diana, give the woman your purse. And I was like, (gasps) what? Now, I went home, and I prayed. Because when you hear voices in your head, you should pray. And I said, okay, God, was that really you? Did you, t- did you, and he goes, give the woman your purse. I was like, oh my gosh. And so then I went back to God, cause I kind of wrestled with this. I'm being vulnerable here, y'all, okay? And I said, well, God, it was, a, it was a gift. You can't give a gift away. And God said, well, then ask the giver. So I went to my husband and I was like, hey, um, so uh, God told me to give my purse away. And Matt was like, well, if God said it, you better do it. So I gave the purse away, but I did so anonymously because I want my reward in heaven. And so afterwards, I remember praying, being like, God, what was all that about? And he said to me, Diana, I needed to make sure that you loved me more than the purse. Now, does all of this mean that God doesn't want us to be rich? Does it mean if we're rich, we're not going to go to heaven? Of course not. God is just saying, I don't care if you have stuff so long as that stuff don't have you. Y'all tracking with me? All right, now that we've talked about some of the behaviors of a worldly economy, we're gonna switch gears and we're gonna talk about the principles of a kingdom economy. And here's what God says to us in Isaiah 55 verse eight. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord, as the heaven is higher. Everybody say higher. Then the earth, so are my ways higher. Then your ways and my thoughts, then your thoughts. In other words, God operates at a higher capacity than we could ever fathom. So naturally, his kingdom has principles that are higher than that of the world. In fact, in most cases, they're totally counter to the concepts of how the worldly economy operates. Number one, 
principle of a kingdom economy is to seek God first. Seek God first. You know, every kingdom has order. We already established that. And someone or something is at the top. And in God's kingdom, it's him. And he wants to be the centerpiece and the focal point of everything in your life. He wants to be first in everything. Matthew 6.33 says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And I love this big old and. All things will be added to you. Like that's a guarantee if I've ever seen one, right? Seek me first and I'll add all the stuff to you. So what does it look like to put God first? Let me give you three T's. Time, talent, and treasure. So if you ever forget your three T's, number one, time. I would challenge us to look at our calendar. Are we at church on Sunday? Good job. Y'all are here. Pat on the back. Are our first waking moments spent with Jesus every day? A couple of years ago, almost five years ago, our senior pastors called Matt and I and said, hey, we'd love for you guys to be the campus pastors at our South End campus. So we prayed about it and we're like, okay, we're going to do it, but we want to do it on a volunteer basis. Now, we knew that that was going to be a big time commitment. So we decided something comes on the plate, something had to come off the plate, right? Good time management. And we decided we were going to outsource our lawn care. So we hired a lawn care company. They show up at our house. And my son at the time was five, and he's a very gregarious personality. So he runs out. He greets the lawn care team. He's talking to them, comes inside, and he's like, Mom, I met them all. In fact, the head guy's name is Jesus. I was like, that's awesome. He said, what does that mean in English? I said, well, it means Jesus. And he looks at me and goes, you mean to tell me that Jesus mows our grass? And, you know, I got a little bit of a chuckle out of that. But then I heard the Lord say, Diana, when you build my house, I will build yours. When you serve God with your time, he will do wondrous things. The second T is talent. Are we using our gifts, our smarts, the things that we're good at to serve God in his house? You know, there's a woman at South End. She came to me and she was like, Diana, I love to dance. I've danced my whole life. She was a top cat for the Panthers. And she said, and now that I'm a little bit older, I just, I don't know how I can use this gift of dance. I said, we'll pray about it. So about a week later, I get a phone call from our events team at Freedom House. And they said, Pastor Diana, do you know of anybody who happens to be good at dance and like choreography? And I'm like, I know just the person. You see, they needed somebody to choreograph the opener at our authentic women's night. So I called up this woman and I said, hey, there's a cool opportunity. And man, she knocked it out of the park. Was anybody here for authentic? It was awesome. Now, a couple weeks after that, she comes to me and she said, I am blown away that God would not only answer my prayer, but that he would find a way for me to use my gift of dance in the house of God. Come on, somebody. Now, let me challenge you. Maybe you're in here and you've got an unconventional gift. Come talk to me. I can promise you there's a place to put your gift to work in the kingdom of God. The third T is treasure. This represents our finances. And I would challenge us, if we were to look at our bank statement, 
Are our finances solely focused on building our house or building God's? You see, Proverbs 3, 6 says, in everything you do, put God first, and he will direct you in a big old and, crown your efforts with success. I love that. Number two, principle of a kingdom economy, give versus gain, give versus gain. You know, some of us have yet to mature beyond where a me-centered focus of life from when we were kids was acceptable. We're walking around going, me, mine, 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 mine. Some of us are like that. We expect that the world still revolves around us and that people and life owe us something. But I would challenge us, what if we were to have the perspective of what can I give in this situation versus what can I gain? Let me say it this way. In my life, there are two kinds of people. There are negatives, and those are the people that always need something. They are always in need of something. They're always taking, taking, taking. I always say they, they make figurative withdrawals from our, our relational bank account. You know, they're always like taking. You know those people, right? And then there's positives. Those are the people that, man, when you're around them, you just get something from being there. They, they, they constantly deposit into you. They, they pray for you. They encourage you. Well, my question to you is, which one are you? Are you a positive or are you a negative? How about when it comes to church? Are you coming to church just to get fed by the message and enjoy the free childcare? Or are you coming to be a blessing to someone else. Man, I can't wait to pray for someone today. I can't wait to encourage someone. I can't wait to give to the kingdom of God. Which one are we? You know, our role as believers is to be givers. Paul tells us in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, in everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to than to, that's right. You know, following up on that purse story, I had a grip on that bag. But when I let it go, my hand was open to what? To receive. And not six months later, I was celebrating a major milestone at work and they got me a present. Do you know, I opened the package and it was the exact same make and model of that designer purse. Like, come on, you can't make this stuff up. Because when you give, you actually gain. In the kingdom of God, when you give, you actually gain. Now, maybe you're in here and you're going, Diana, I'm just making it check to check right now. I don't have a lot. That's okay. I would encourage you to start by tithing. Giving the first 10%, like, like Michael was saying, of every increase that comes in. And I promise you, God will knock your socks off with blessing. Or maybe you're sitting in here and you're like Solvent Susie. And you're sitting on a mound of excess. Praise God. He's blessed you. I would challenge you with legacy. You have an opportunity to, to help build the kingdom of God like nobody's business. And we've got projects at Freedom House that I would love to talk to you about. God wants to see you blessed. Number three, principle of a kingdom economy, be content. 
Be content. What does it mean to be content in what we have? Well, my definition is to no longer want beyond what we have today that would take us to a place of dissatisfaction. It means that the things we have today will satisfy the needs of tomorrow. It means that you'd be able to ball up that Christmas wish list and never think about it again. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we bought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who wanna get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. That word contentment in the Greek, because the New Testament was written in Greek, it's the word artarkis, and it means a spiritual dependence on the Lord. In other words, not self-sufficiency, Christ-sufficiency. I don't need the next pair of shoes. I don't need the next bag. I don't need the next piece of technology, video game, whatever it is, because I got Jesus and that is more than enough. Hebrews 13 verse five says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now does being content mean that we shouldn't dream about all that God is capable of? Absolutely not. God calls us to dream. But I believe that when we dream, it's saying, you know what? I will be content even if it doesn't happen on this side of heaven. In the Bible, in Daniel chapter three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're literally standing in front of a fiery furnace about to lose their life because King Nebuchadnezzar called them to bow down to his idol and they wouldn't. And they said, listen, our God is capable of saving us from these fiery flames. And my favorite part of that verse is when they say, and even if he doesn't, content. Number four, last one, principle of a kingdom economy, worth over wealth, worth over wealth. You see, the definition of wealth is an accumulation of assets, whereas worth is talking about the measure at which someone or something deserves to be valued. God doesn't care about your wealth. He cares about your worth. And here we are, sometimes in life we're striving for wealth and God goes, no, you're missing the point. I care about your worth. Matthew 6, 19 says, do not hoard your treasure down here where it gets eaten by moths or corroded by rust or worse, stolen by burglars. Stockpile your treasure in heaven where it's safe from moth and rust and burglars because it's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is, is the place where you will most want to be and be forever. You see, if we stop focusing on building our wealth here on earth and start focusing on building the empire of heaven, what does that look like? Populating heaven. Because people have eternal worth. 
Whereas the possessions that we acquire here, they just turn to dust. There was a young man who went to visit his father on his deathbed. And his father gave him this pocket watch. And he said, son, this watch has been in our family for generations. And I'm giving it to you. But before I go, I want you to take it and I want you to have it appraised at the local watchmaker. So the young man goes to the watchmaker and he says, can you tell me how much this watch is worth? And the watchmaker goes, eh, that thing is old. And you know, we sell newer things here, latest technology. I'll give you five bucks for it. The young man's disappointed. He goes back to his dad and he tells him and his dad says, take it to the jeweler. So the young man goes to the jeweler and he says, can you tell me how much this watch is worth? And the jeweler's like, we sell shiny things here. This thing is tarnished and it's scratched up. Give you 10 bucks. Young man's disappointed, goes back to his dad and his dad says, now take it to the museum. So the boy goes to the museum and he hands the watch to the curator and he says, can you tell me how much this watch is worth? And the curator's studying it. And he's looking at it and he goes, where did you get this? And the young man said, it's been in my family for generations. He says, this watch is invaluable. It is priceless. The young man runs back to his dad. He's so excited. And his dad said, son, just like that watch, the creator has already established your worth. And if you go searching for your value in the places and the things of this world, you will always come up short. You see, you are priceless, he said. And he starts to tell him that Jesus died on the cross for him, that God bankrupted heaven so that he could have eternal life. And you know, I started to research again the definition of wealth and worth. And the definition of wealth is an accumulation of total assets. The definition of worth, and I found this definition, it was so cool. It's, it's, a, it's a measure of wealth, but it's determined by taking the total assets and subtracting the debts. When God bankrupted heaven for you and me, he paid your debts. Will you all stand to your feet? And if you could just close your eyes and bow your heads just right where you are. You know, as I was praying this morning, I felt like God was saying, some of my children have forgotten how valuable they are to me. They've forgotten that their worth is more important than their wealth. That it's not about what they earn in this world. It's about what they mean to me. If you're in here today and you just needed that reminder of how much God loves you, that he would bankrupt heaven, send Jesus to the cross to pay for all of your sins, would you just lift your hand right where you are so I can pray with you? Just a reminder that, yes, I needed that today. Thank you for your hands can put them down or maybe you're in here and you've not yet entered into a relationship with Jesus well I've got some great news for you you see Jesus paid that price 
But to you, it equals freedom. And it comes at no charge, no cost. All you have to do is accept. If you're in here today and you'd like to accept that gift of eternal life from Jesus for the first time or the hundredth time, will you just lift your hand right where you are so I can pray with you? Thank you for your hands. Thank you for your hands. You can put those down. And church, if you'll just repeat after me, we're gonna pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the price that you paid for me. I believe that Jesus died. I believe that Jesus rose. I believe that my sins are forgiven. From this day forward, I will follow you all the days of my life. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we encourage you to spread the word. Share with your friends and family on social media and make sure you subscribe to hear a new message every week. Really love the message? Well, we want to hear from you. Make sure to leave us a review below. Want more Freedom House content? Follow us on Instagram at Freedom House and subscribe to Freedom House Church on YouTube. We hope you are equipped to experience all that God has for you this week, and we'll see you for our next Freedom House Church weekend message.